This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point, Hedman, right to Kucherov. Score! Hattrick! Kucherov! I was asked by the guys over at 95.3 WDAE the other day, who will I be watching the closest once play resumes? Now, assuming that we do have hockey at some point, my initial response was Blake Coleman. Now, think about it. The Lightning gives up Nolan Foote and a first-round pick for his services. And in nine games with the Lightning, he's got one assist. Also, keep in mind, he's coming off back-to-back 20-goal seasons. Now, I don't know what his numbers will look like at the end of the year, but it's reasonable to expect Coleman to produce offensively while also playing a pretty gritty game. After all... Why else would the Lightning pay such a heavy price to get him? But after thinking about that question a bit more, I changed my answer. Now look, I'm allowed to do that, right? People change their minds all the time. But in this case, I think I'm right with my new pick. It's pretty obvious, and it would be hard to argue, but sometimes the most obvious answers are the right ones. And that's why Andre Vasilevsky is still the guy to watch once Tampa Bay is back on the ice. And I'm choosing him not because if he goes down with an injury, Tampa Bay is in trouble. Now, that goes for just about every NHL team today. You lose your starting goaltender, and things aren't going to be pretty at times. It has more to do with good goaltending wins championships. You see, since the lockout back in 04, the number of goaltenders who've won the Cup haven't all been Hall of Famers or even consistent All-Stars. In fact, you put Vasilevsky up against all the goaltenders who have won a cup during that time, and you can make the case that Vasi might be the most talented. But all of those goaltenders played well at the right time, and that didn't happen with the Lightning last year. Look, it's not all on Vasilevsky, obviously. The team didn't play well collectively against Columbus. But Vasilevsky is getting paid a lot of money to be an elite goaltender when the stakes are their highest. I thought it was the right move signing him long-term and giving him a ton of money. He's a young netminder who has won and will continue to win a lot of games for the Lightning moving forward. But ladies and gentlemen, don't overthink it when someone asks you the question, who the most important player for the Lightning is, or who will you be watching the closest once play resumes? You can give me a lot of good answers with good reasoning, but it begins and ends with Vassy. If he plays well... Tampa Bay is one of a handful of teams that can win the cup. If he doesn't, well, there's a pretty good team who the Lightning will be that might not get out of the first round. We'll see how this all plays out when play resumes, but I think most people here in Tampa Bay are betting on Vassy coming through. It is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Lanelli. Steve Ersnick is my producer. Brian Burns, who is the beat reporter for the Lightning, joins us in our next segment to talk about all things NHL and the Lightning. And as always, we're taking your tweets at Bolts Radio. Now, the NHL has released a comprehensive COVID-19 testing strategy. There are screening protocols in place for voluntary workouts and training camp in the hands of individual teams. Uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly also said the NHL plans to test all players every day when games start happening. Now, this, again, from Sportsnet, each test costs approximately $125, and Commissioner Gary Bettman estimated $25,000 to $35,000 will be needed to get through the playoffs, a price tag he concedes of millions of dollars. But... Folks, listen, athletes have plenty of concerns about risking their health to get back to work. And if that means you have to have regular testing to make sure they're confident in coming back, that's what you have to do. I'm also wondering if this is something the league should continue to do moving forward, or at least until a vaccine is available. Who knows how long that will take, but until then, I think this is the right call. As I said, your players are your biggest assets and most important ones. And if you're going to come back and play, make sure testing is readily available all the time. All right, so weigh in there, if you can, at Bolts Radio. And I want to get your thoughts again once play starts to pick up. Who are you watching for the most, or who are you closely watching when it comes to the Tampa Bay Lightning and their roster? 
And Steve, let me bring you in here because I, I think my initial reaction was one of the new guys brought mm-hmm. at the trade deadline. And I think that makes sense. Blake Coleman, I think, is going to be a top six, top nine guy, and hopefully he makes a, a big-time impact. But I think sometimes we have a tendency to overthink what the obvious answer is. And for me, I had a chance to think about it a bit more, and I said, wow, I mean, Blake Coleman's great, but if Fassi doesn't play well, it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, and I look, I mean, we know in, in the playoffs, goaltending is everything. So you have a good goaltender, you've got a shot to win. But I think the more obvious one is still Steven Stamkos. Yes, he's been skating. Yes, he's recovered from the surgery. But is he recovered enough for game shape and recovered enough to play well and recovered enough to, to, to lead the team? Um, you know, the, the Lightning is more of a an, an offense – with Kucherov and Stamkos in that, I'm going to say a finesse team, but it's more of a high-skilled offensive team, which can take time to get in sync. You know, so one of the things we've noticed over the last few seasons is every time they have long breaks, the bye weeks, the all-star breaks, the Christmas breaks, they kind of struggle when they come back. The, the passes aren't quite as crisp. The, the timing isn't quite right. And, and that's what happens on a high-skilled team at times. And if Stamkos isn't 100% healthy or ready to come back, I think that throws that all off. And, you know, you're going to ramp up presumably a couple, three-week maybe training camp. You'll have, what, you're going to have the three-round robin games and, and maybe yeah. some, some games before that or scrimmages before that. But it, it's a quick ramp-up time, you know, quicker than an offseason presumably because the players are generally skating on their own long before then in big groups and doing, and doing things. So um, I, I think I'll be curious how quickly that, that the timing, the, the Christmas, the crispness of that offense gets back yeah. into shape. And I think Stamkos is a big part of that because of the abdominal surgery, the core injury he had and the surgery he had now, you know, presumably he's healthy, but is he ready to, is, is it enough to come back and play hockey? Yeah. And it's a good point. I think what's interesting what you brought up, and I I agree with you wholeheartedly about when you talk about teams coming back from this break, it was actually Ron Diaz asked me this question. He felt like, do you think some teams coming back are going to struggle out of the gates more so than others? And I don't know if I have had the lightning in mind when I answered. I actually, I said, you know, I think, it may take the skilled teams a little longer to adjust. In other words, Mm -hmm. if you're a team that relies on grinding and hard work, I think in a seven-game series, typically the more talented team will win. But coming off of this long break, you wonder if a team, let's say like the Canadians going against the Pittsburgh Penguins, a a 12-5 matchup, Pittsburgh's a little more skilled, relies a little bit more on talent. The Canadians are going to have to grind it out. Are they a team that fares better coming back than a Pittsburgh or a Tampa Bay or somebody who's more skilled? I think that's going to be an interesting question, which to me, Steve, goes back to maybe the point I'm making with Vasilevsky, that if the Lightning do come out of the gate slowly, your goaltender is going to have to bail you out. And we have seen Vasilevsky do that. More times than not, it's unfortunate, though, the one time he didn't happen last year, which was one of the, the great debacles in all of sports. Well, and, and uh, you know, I know that the Lightning were one of two teams to vote against the current 24-team playoff or round robin, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. But I think one of the advantages, and the Lightning have earned this by being the number two seed in, in the East, and even if seeding is affected by the round robin, you drop to four, whatever. I mean, we all say in the playoffs – just get in. It doesn't matter. And particularly, there right. is no home ice this year. I mean, everything's going to be without fans at some, you know, arena, wherever, whatever hub they pick. So the home ice doesn't really matter either. Other than, I, I suppose, last changes, you'll have that. So, but just get in. But so the Lightning have essentially however many round robin games you're going to play, three or whatever the number is. They've got those games to ramp up in addition to the training camp and all that before, because those games don't mean anything. And, and I, that was one of the reasons the Lightning didn't like the format because other teams are playing, you know, win or go home games while you're playing a game that presumably doesn't matter much. But I think for a high-skilled team, it gives you a chance to figure that out and get that timing back and all that. And even if you lose, it's okay. 
you've got three games for everyone to to get back to doing what you do well. I'm curious too, and obviously we're we're hoping this doesn't happen again. But do you think in a year where a skill team underachieves in the playoffs, Steve? And I, I want to ask our audience at Bolts Radio, do they get a little bit more of a pass this year because of how things ended or were broken up during the pandemic? Or if you're a highly skilled team or a high seeded team that gets bounced in the first round or doesn't win the cup when the odds favor you maybe possibly raising the cup in, in a in a very positive way, do you think they receive the type of criticism they should in a normal year if they underachieve in the playoffs? I think the criticism, particularly from the fans, will be the format. Or the they didn't have enough games to get ready, or you put too many teams in, or you name, you know, if Boston, let's say Boston's the president's, you know, cup winner this year. They've got the most points. They're the, they're the best team in hockey or the top seed, presumably, if you were in a normal playoffs at this point. If they lose out in, you know, the, the, whatever they do in the round robin, and then they lose in the first round to, you name the team, and you know who knows where you'll be seated and who you're playing, but they lose to let's say Montreal. You know, it's going to be well. Montreal shouldn't have been in this. It'll be. I think. I think everyone is going to take less blame for whatever. And and you know, I mean, look, sports is such a momentum game. Although, you know, we always talk momentum doesn't necessarily carry over game to game, but confidence does, and the way you're playing individually and as a team can, and and all that's been stopped for three months or four months by the time we probably are playing games. That that that's a long time, man. That's hard. And I mean, you know, all all these athletes, all the you know, in, in, name the sport, NBA, that, that had to stop too. They're in the same thing. I mean, right. All that that chemistry and momentum that you build throughout a season, the confidence and all that. You have, you've been you've been gone longer than you ever have in your career from your sport. At this point, this is this is. I mean, and I don't think there should be an asterisk or anything, but it is going to be different. But everyone's everyone's facing the same scenario, so it's not like somebody's got an advantage over anybody else, right? And I, I would agree with that. And I also think, too, you, you know, mentioned Stamkos. Uh, what's interesting is that he is, I think, um, I, there might be some people that disagree with it. I think he has been, I think he's changed his game a bit this year more so than in previous years. I mean, you saw him win a lot of putt battles. He was very um, engaged, I thought, physically in a lot of these games, which I think leads to better playoff performances because, as we know, I think sometimes the ice gets a little smaller. There's not a lot, of, a ton of room out there to create space, and sometimes skilled guys have problems uh, in the playoffs. It doesn't happen all the time, but as we saw back in, what was it, 2018, the last two games of the Cap Series where Tampa Bay was shut out, I mean, there was just no room for guys like Kucherov and Stamkos, at least the way they played. But the way Stamkos was playing before he went down leads you to believe that when they do come back, even though Tampa Bay is a highly skilled team, they are one of those teams, again, when you go out and get the Coleman's and the Good Rose, you're hoping that you can deal with your stars not scoring as much because you, pl you are playing a, a little more grittier. And does that help you get engaged earlier uh, once the playoffs do resume i think steve we're all hoping for that mm -hmm. obviously the question becomes will it will it actually happen but i i think it starts with your captain who showed us i think this year that there's another level he gets to from a, a gritty standpoint that i think will help them come playoff time well one of the things that gets overlooked by stamkos the last few seasons is the face-off win percentage he has become excellent yes. at face-offs and they put him out in, in, in penalty kill situations. And he doesn't, you know, the goal is to win the face off and he gets off the ice. But he is, he is their best centerman in, in, in that terms now, as far as face offs go. And he wasn't a few years ago. As a matter of fact, the whole team struggled ma massively several years ago. Right. Um, but the other thing we've always said about Stamkos, and, and this is true in the league, is skilled players play better with skilled players. And Braden Point makes Stamkos so much better. Braden Point takes a lot of that onus off of Stamkos on that line. Stamkos takes the face-offs, but Braden Point does a lot of the, the dirty work on that line to allow Stamkos to be more lethal as a shooter, but also be more engaged in puck battles and things like that because Braden Point's doing so much on that line. And, of course, Kucherov is creative and, and, and a tremendous scorer, too, and a shooter. 
that that line together. I, I, I've said for years, and you know this, that I'm not a big fan of Stamkos and Kucherov playing together, but when points with them, I like it a lot. Point is a difference maker, and I think when you talk about Braden points, who is the most important forward on this team, I think you can make a very strong case it is Braden points. And I know a lot of people will step back and they'll say, what, what do you mean? Nikita Kucherov is their best offensive player. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. There's no question. But Kucherov, and they have a different skill set, doesn't do what Braden Point does consistently. And I got to mm-hmm. tell you, Steve, a guy right behind Braden Point, I think at this point, we start talking about most valuable forwards is Anthony Sorelli. Well, and I think those players that give you that two-way play, but also can score a bit so, and are gritty. Sorelli's growth what is what's allowed you to move Point to that first line. No question. Because Sorelli has kind of taken over the Braden Point role of the last few seasons. The, the primary defensive stopping line still has some offense to him. It has high skill in that. It's Sorelli's emergence that allowed you to move point up to that top line. Because before it was always Stamkos and Kucherov, and you were trying to put Andre Palat or Alex Kalorn, or, and you were looking for who that, that third person on that line was that could consistently produce for you. And, and it, it would always you'd, – you'd find someone that would work for five or ten games, and then it would kind of go dry for a while. And, right. But, but Sorelli's – improvement to allow him to move up and, and take over kind of what Braden Point's role was in the past, allowed Point to move up to that top line, and that's what gives you such a lethal top line now. And another question I want to throw out there, and maybe we can do this in our third segment, and we'll ask Bernsey about this, but I want our audience, Steve, and I want you to start thinking about it right now, and if you want to chime in, you can. I was asked this question again over the weekend, and I... I you have to start reminding yourself that we're going to be playing games here at some point. I mean, whenever that happens, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. The league will announce it at some point. But does Jan Ruta, when he comes back, assuming he is, is he a top six defenseman? I mean, we forget, we forget how good he was with Victor Hedman, folks. Mm-hmm. We know what the Lightning did at the trade deadline. Bogosian may be a guy who who slides in there, and he's part of your top six. I mean, is Braden Coburn part of your top six? All I can tell you was before the injury, and even last year, Steve, if you remember, who got the nod over Braden Coburn heading into that Columbus series? It was Jan Ruta. Mm-hmm. Is he a guy when things are even, and everybody's coming back, and assuming he's healthy? I have no idea where he is physically, but let's assume he's healed. Mm-hmm. Is Jan Ruta in your top six? I think it's a fascinating question because we haven't thought about it for so long. And Well, they have nine defensemen on this team now. Yes. Because yes. when they signed Zach Bogosian and they were able to get him because Buffalo had cut him, they were able to sign him so he didn't have to give up any assets for him. Right. That They have nine defensemen now. That, And assuming everyone's healthy, and we know McDonough and Ruta were injured at the end of the season, but assuming that they're back healthy, I think Ruta gets the first shot at playing with Hedman because of how well he was. When they played together, I think Chernak and McDonough are a pair. And then you've got Sergachev, and who are you going to put with him? Is it Bogosian? Is it Shen? It, is, is it Kobe? Cob- Coburn? I mean, you literally, the way, the way you threw it out there, you could have two spots open for competition. Now, again, lefty-righty always comes into play here, and I think that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons, obviously, that Jan Ruta found himself in the lineup, but we also yep. know that Bogosian was getting an opportunity late in the season to see what he could do. Now, that was some of that was because of injuries, but some of that was, I think they wanted to get a look at what he could do. I think if you had to ask me two guys who I think will start as healthy scratches, unfortunately, I think for them, it'll be, it'll be Luke Shen, and I think it'll be Braden Coburn. And then I think from there... You forgot Shattenkirk. We haven't even mentioned Shattenkirk in this. Right. Right. See, I mean, you have to start putting this stuff all in. Shattenkirk, no doubt. Well, Shattenkirk and Sergachev. So then is Bogosian not in, or, or do you go 11 7? Yeah. See, because I, 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 I think in the playoffs, they might like a Bogosian or Luke Shen's physicalness. They, they may, but you also. It I may think depend on the, the opponent, too. It could, but I, I still think the strength of this team is up front. Mm-hmm. And you, with the trade sure. deadline, brought in two forwards. Now, you did bring in a defenseman. I think that was more depth. I, I, I mean, 
Goodrow and Coleman obviously are going to be in the lineup. I don't see Cedric Paquette coming out of the lineup. I think he's a John Cooper guy. I think Maroon, obviously, you know what you have in him. And, look, if you want to get cute and you want to say, well, what would they do with Tyler Johnson? He hasn't been great. If he's not in the top six, he's not. No, Tyler Johnson's playing. He's playing. I think it comes down to which defenseman do you want to sit. I think there's the Jan Ruta debate probably is the one position that's open. But the way Jan Ruta played, I don't know if he's coming out. Now, those two exhibition games, Steve, if they go through that, go through with it, maybe that's when you decide if he's healthy, he's ready to go. But... I don't know, talking out loud here, I, I would think initially it's probably Jan Ruta's job to lose. But maybe, although, if you, you have know, a different opinion. did Bogosian do enough beforehand? And, and, you know, Shattenkirk's there as a righty as well? Let's put it this way, and we'll take a break and we'll get to Brian Burns. As good as Bogosian looked, Jan Ruta was better when he played, when he was healthy. I'm going to give Jan Root to his props. It doesn't mean Bogosian can't come in and play mm-hmm. well. If you're asking me to go off of what I saw, I was more impressed with what Ruta did than Bogosian. That could change, and certainly the coaches may have a different viewpoint on that. But, but I want to get your thoughts. Isn't it a nice right problem in. to have? It's a great problem. It's the deepest back end they've ever had, and I think that's a fair comment to make. We'll talk about this with Brian Burns, beat reporter of the Tampa Bay Lightning, when we return. So glad you're with us. Hope your weekend went well. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. All right. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linnelli with you. Glad you're with us here on a Monday. Hope your weekend was pretty good. All things considered, crazy stuff going on today, but we're here to talk some hockey, and our good friend, the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Brian Burns, joins us here. And, Burnsy, good to be with you again, buddy. And, boy, it's nice to start to at least envision hockey coming back. What's your sense in terms of when you think play will resume? Uh, It's pretty clear the Lightning and uh, the league going to be moving forward here pretty soon with hopefully some training camp and exhibition games, but do you have a sense of uh, what the timeline could be? Yeah, you know, when everything kind of broke out, we were hoping it might be late July. You know, I'd heard some rumors that I think July 24th potentially was kind of the date that the Olympics were set to start on NBC, and maybe they were targeting that date as a return to play uh, just so they could fill that that programming for NBC and, and have all of that time allotted for themselves. Now it looks like it's being pushed back. Uh, it's not going to be end of July, but you know potentially early August, maybe mid-August. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. you got to think that uh, the earlier they can get these games in, the earlier uh, they can get this over with, the, the playoffs over with, the more of an offseason that they'll be able to have, and the less it'll push into next season and, and kind of, Uh, I know they've said they can go to mid-December, even potentially January next season and have an 82-game regular season schedule. But you got to wonder how condensing all of those games into a few months and pushing it into next offseason, how much of a ripple effect you're going to have if you keep pushing uh, off the start of the return to playoffs and then the start of next season and just future seasons, how much of a ripple effect that's going to have. I actually still think, Bernsey, it's going to be August and then – probably December when we start talking about resuming play for next year. I just think we know how long playoffs are going to be. If that means training camp for next year begins in November and then play starts in December, and then maybe you don't have as many breaks, maybe you don't have an all-star game, maybe you don't have the bye week. I still think it makes it pretty condensed, but I think that's probably the only way you can pull this off and still keep with an 82-game schedule next year and the playoffs finishing this year. Yeah, you wonder like how many how many back to backs are you going to have to to have to facilitate putting eighty two games into that schedule? When is the end date for next season going to be? It's typically been you know first second week of all, uh, of April uh, when the regular season ends. Is that going to be pushed back you know into May or even into to the end of May, early June when you're going to have to uh, end that regular season? So I think the big thing is you just don't want this uh, to continue going forward into future seasons. Like if you uh, affect next season? Is that going to push back the start date of the 2021-22 season? You know, like I think at some point you've got to uh, try to, you know, 
theoretically draw a line in the sand and say this is where we're going to go and we don't want to affect future seasons. So this is kind of the, the cutoff date here. Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Hit us up on Twitter. If you want to ask Burnsy a question, you certainly can at Bolts Radio. All right, let's kind of get into Burnsy this team because I, I think not only do the players have to start making that shift mentally in terms of getting ready to play, but I think so do media members, beat reporters, fans have to start actually looking at, at teams and saying, all right, we're coming back. What's our team look like? We understand all these teams are going to be starting at the same spot. I mean, you haven't played in, in quite some time. Most of these teams are going to be injury-free for the most part. But I had, I thought, a pretty interesting discussion, Steve Erstick and I, at the beginning of the show today, you know, started talking about, you know, the player you're going to watch maybe the closest coming out of, of this. And maybe, I don't want to say the most important player for the Lightning moving forward, but... Uh, somebody who you think is going to be so valuable that if they have a little slippage in their play, it's not going to matter how talented this Lightning team is. And uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I, I said at the beginning of the show, it was for me it was Blake Coleman originally, but then when I had a chance to think about it, it still comes back to Andre Vasilevsky. You know, if he's not good or great, I don't care how talented Tampa Bay is. You know, we saw last year, they can get swept in the first round. I don't think that's going to happen this year, but... Is there a player you're just kind of waiting to see how they react to this time off and who you think really will be the key for this team moving forward once these playoffs do resume? Yeah, you know, when you were setting up that question immediately, I kind of thought like you did. I thought about Blake Coleman, uh, Barclay Goodrow. Well, you know, those are two guys that we, we, we've gotten to see a little bit of, but we really yeah. haven't gotten to see the full effect and impact of, of what those guys uh, can bring to this team and I don't even think the the lightning uh, really know what they have there at least the players and the, you know their teammates they know a little bit they've seen them for you know a couple of weeks that they were allowed to play with them uh, coming over at the trade deadline but uh, you know not sure exactly the the full gamut of everything that they can bring to the squad so I think once we start back up it's going to be interesting uh, just to see the the full effect of what those guys can bring and how they can add to this lightning team and make it an even better team yeah, I, I like your thought about Vasilevsky. Certainly, uh, you know, how he goes, the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to go if, if he's playing well. And this, I feel like, bodes well for him. We know last season he talked a little bit about getting tired down the stretch. Uh, he shouldn't have really that to worry about this season. He should be uh, ready to go once, once the, uh, the play resumes. and He should be pretty fresh. Uh, but for me, uh, another guy that, that I really feel like, you know, kind of – determines how this team is going to play is Victor Hedman. Uh, and I think we've seen last season towards the end of last, uh, the 62-win the campaign last year, he got dinged up and he wasn't quite the same going into the playoffs. And I think that was a big effect on, on why this team was, was swept by Columbus in the first round last year. So uh, for me, I think it's, it's imperative that you have a fully healthy Victor Hedman. You have a guy that's uh, been able to rest here. We we don't, you know, no injuries that we know of going into the pause for, for Victor, but certainly I'm sure he was banged up and dealing with stuff that a lot of these guys have to deal with uh, just uh, in the nature of playing the, a grueling regular season. So for him to be able to get fully healthy and to have his legs underneath of him and, and be uh, probably as close to 100% as you're going to see uh, uh, Victor Hedman going into the postseason. I think that bodes really well for the Lightning, and if they can kind of lean on him and uh, and let him get going and he can kind of drive the bus for the Lightning, I think he can be a big factor for this team in the postseason. I think it's a good point. Let's stay with that because, again, in, in this first segment of the show today, uh, Steve and I were talking about the back end. And I think we have to familiarize ourselves with who was back there. We, we were going over the pairings. We left out Kevin Shatkirk. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got well, Shatkirk with Zach Bogosian. I mean, you, you forget that he even came over to the team and he played a few games before all this happened. And he just well, kind of gets lost in the mix. Well, and to that point, I, I want to go there with Hedman because I think this is interesting. And it's a question we threw out to our listeners as well. Does Jan Ruta come back and still is a top six defenseman on this team because I feel like he is forgotten. Birdsey. Nobody is talking about him, and maybe in some ways for good reason because he's been out for so long. But let's not forget 
he was a top six defenseman playing to your point with Victor Hedman, who you think, you know, it might be the most interesting, most valuable guy to keep an eye on once play resumes. And I don't discredit that at all. But Jan Ruta showed the ability to play with a an elite defenseman very well. And now all of a sudden, I'm assuming he comes back and is ready to go. The question becomes, Bernsey, and I'll ask you this. I don't know what the team will do. But is he somebody, assuming he's ready to go, that slots in that top six? And when you do take a look at the top six, off the top of your head, who is it to start? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly that guy that, for whatever reason, and, and I think you know, he just plays a solid game. He doesn't do anything that that's gonna that's gonna wow you. Uh, he doesn't make very many mistakes. He, he's a pretty solid player, and I think the coaching staff knows what they're going to get out of Jan Ruda, and I think that's why they feel so comfortable slotting him in there with Victor Hedman. Obviously, they know Victor Hedman's a, a Norris Trophy candidate, is going to be their best defenseman, and drives the bus. Uh, for this team a lot of the time. So they really just need a guy in Jan Ruta that they know what they're going to get out of. They know he's going to make the smart, simple, safe play, and they can pair that with Victor Hedman. And that pairing has seemed to work pretty well. So uh, I really think when they slot Jan Ruta in there, uh, if he can be that guy for Victor Hedman, if they can continue that partnership, uh, it just kind of allows the Lightning to do more with their defensive pairings than they would be able to do otherwise. Uh, because then you're able to have McDonough and Chernak as your second pair. And we've seen... You know, over the last couple seasons, that two, th- those two guys have been a really good lockdown pair for the Lightning. That's who they throw over the boards when they need that that defensive shutdown pair, and uh, they they want to lock it down. And then uh, you have a really dynamic third pair with Kevin Shattenkirk and Mikhail Sergachev. And certainly Sergachev is deserving of, of maybe being in those conversations of you know should he pair with Victor Hedman? Do you want to bump him up to that first pair and give him uh, a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more time on ice? Uh, but the shattenkirk Sergachev pair has been a, a really good dynamic for the Lightning, and they showed throughout the uh, the regular season that uh, they could be very effective there as well. So I really think when everybody's healthy, uh, I think Jan Ruda is going to get that first shot to be that that top pair right-hand shot defenseman with Victor Hedman uh, and just see if they can kind of replicate what they were able to do during the regular season. And if that doesn't work out, they have plenty of options. They can move Sergachev up there. Uh, they still have Coburn, who you know is, is meticulous in the way that he takes care of his body, and you have to figure during this pause that you know he's probably been able to work on his fitness and get back to 100% health, and he should be ready to go and, and feeling pretty good about himself going into uh, a postseason. Uh, and then you know Zach Bogosian, kind of the wild card, a guy that you can slot in there if really needed. So uh, I think the Lightning have options. I think option A is to go with Jan Ruta there, see if it continues to work out, and if not, they have plenty of of guys in reserve that they can slot in and, and try to make it work. Yeah, and I don't know if the Lightning were really trying to find out what they had in Bogosian when they brought him in with all the injuries that the team was experiencing, and if he made a big impression that maybe he was a guy that was going to stay in the lineup when everybody did come back. Here's my take on it. I'm curious what your your thought process is. I think Zach Bogosian at this point is a very serviceable, serviceable defenseman, and playing with the new team, he may have another level to get to that we haven't seen. But there was nothing that I saw in those eight or nine games that he played that made me feel like he no doubt should get the nod over Jan Ruta if, in fact, that's who he's competing with, Bernsey, to be one of the top six defensemen on this team. I think we saw how maybe the team feels about Braden Coburn last year in the playoffs when Jan Ruta got the start ahead of him. And it seems like when everybody is healthy, Coburn is one of the odd men sitting out, even though I like him a great deal and feel like if he is in your top six, that's fine. I feel like Shen, Coburn, and Bogosian are watching the games from the press box. And I think Jan Ruta is your guy slated in until proven otherwise. Yeah, and I like what you said. I, you got guys in reserve with Coburn. Like you said, you don't feel uncomfortable having him in your top six. I think you could say that about all those guys, about Shen or Bogosian. Now, maybe you don't want Shen and Bogosian in your top six throughout an entire playoff run going into a Stanley Cup final. But if you have to put one of those guys in, I think you feel pretty comfortable that they can get the job done. So, yeah, I'm like you. I think Jan Ruda gets that first shot. I think Braden Coburn is a little bit of a wild card because I think he still has a lot left in the tank, and I think this pause is going to give him 
uh, an ability to, to get his fitness level back to where it would be at the start of a regular season. And, and I think that's probably when he's playing his best. Uh, and I agree with you about Bogosian. I, I think he was brought in basically because the Lightning were dealing with so many injuries on the blue line at that time that they just needed a body. They needed somebody to come in because they didn't want to dip into their reserves in Syracuse because those guys you know, weren't really ready yet or they didn't think they could make that leap up to the NHL level. Uh, so they went out and got Bogosian when Jan Ruda was injured, when Ryan McDonough was dealing with his injury. Uh, and they were able to give him a little run, and I think it was more – you know, just an insurance policy in case one of those guys, you know, might have to sit out for the rest of the uh, of the regular season. And now we know that uh, that's not the case. So uh, I'm with you. I, I think he played well. I don't think he, you know, did anything to, to hurt his case, but I'm not sure that he was dynamic enough to to say that, that he deserves to be in a top six when, when everybody else is healthy and you already know what you're getting out of that top six. So yeah. I think he's a guy that sits on the sideline and, and yeah. maybe has to wait his turn. And if he has to come in at some point, I think you feel comfortable that he can get the job done. For sure. Uh, Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, joining us here on Power Lunch. And again, we're, we're giving everybody our opinions and you know we're trying to project, which is hard to do. But you listen to the show for opinions, and that's what we're giving you based off of what we've seen. I'm wondering, Bernsey, when you take a look at the exhibition games, assuming they do come back and have a couple, how much of it, at least for the Lightning specifically in your mind, is to get in game shape? And how much of it is it to settle on maybe that sixth defenseman on this team or maybe going 11 and seven? Do you feel like it's more conditioning than trying to find guys in the right spots? Or do you still think um, that's what the exhibition games are going to be used for to take a look at who is that sixth defenseman on this team? And should they go 11 and seven once the playoffs start? I think it's mostly going to be for conditioning. I think the, the coaching staff uh, has a pretty good idea of who they would want in those spots. Uh, maybe you're looking at Ruda to, to make sure that, that he's the player he was pre-injury and that you're getting that, that same guy that, that you had slotted in next to Victor Hedman. Uh, I, I think maybe that's what you're looking for in some of these exhibition games with, with players. And if not, then you have to figure out, well, what are we going to do with our defensive pair since Ruda doesn't seem to be uh, you know, the player he was pre-injury. But uh, I think more than anything, this is just about conditioning and getting the guys uh, skating again and just back into the flow of playing, which, you know, it seems simple enough, but uh, when you haven't played for two to three months, just getting out there and playing again and getting into that flow again is probably going to take a little bit of time, and I think that's where they're going to get the most benefit out of these exhibition games. Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, joins us here on Lightning Power Play. And, you know, we talk about the defense, and I think that's going to be interesting to see who emerges in that top six, assuming everybody is healthy. When you take a look at the forward position, I, I think specifically if we want to talk about Blake Coleman in terms of who you're going to be watching closely, I think that is a fair analysis or fair critique to say you want to see more from him because you paid a high price to get him, but you also know that he's a back-to-back 20-goal -back scorer in this league, and he's going to provide some depth scoring. But, Bernsey, can you make the case that the one guy who has a chance to really change the dynamic of this team in the playoffs from a scoring perspective is Tyler Johnson. You know the scores are going to be under a, a microscope. The Stars, Stamkos, assuming he's ready to go, which we think he will be, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov. I mean, those guys we know are elite players who are going to be relied upon to carry the load offensively. But we also know that Kalorn, Palat... These guys have had a lot of success in the playoffs. Yanni Gore, to a lesser extent. Sorelli um, doing some really good things. But boy, I think when you talk about secondary scoring and the history of this particular player, Tyler Johnson is somebody that really should feel like it's a new season for him when play does resume. And if he gets back to being the Tyler Johnson we saw last year or even the playoff performer we've seen in years past, he really could change the way this team goes about its business offensively, Bernsey, in the playoffs. I mean, it could be a real matchup problem for a lot of teams. Yeah, I mean, we all know how important depth scoring you know, is in the postseason. Other teams, you know, they can do 
Uh, they, they can try to shut down your top lines. We've seen it in the past where, you know, Nikita Kucherov has been shut down by teams in the past where Stamkos has been shut down. And that's where you need your, your, your secondary scoring to step up and create those mismatches that other teams just can't account for. And yeah, when Tyler Johnson, when he's at the top of his game, uh, we all saw what he was able to do in 2015 during that run to the Stanley cup final and just how valuable he was. And then when he was injured, how, uh, much of an effect that had on the Lightning in that Stanley Cup final against Chicago. And they just weren't able to to replicate that offensive success that they had had in previous series against the Rangers, against uh, against Montreal, against Detroit. They were just lacking that little bit of scoring punch against Chicago. And you have to give the Blackhawks credit. I mean, Corey Crawford was outstanding in that series. And uh, that defensive core for, for the Blackhawks was so good and able to lock down the Lightning. But just seemed like they were missing that one little element. And Tyler Johnson brought that in the first three rounds of that playoff series or of that playoffs. Uh, if you can get that again, and I'm not saying uh, you even need him to be that good as he was in 2015, but if you can, you know, just get a little bit of that to add to what you already have, like you said, with the Kucherovs, the points, Sorelli and what he's become, Kalorn and the, the career year that he's had, Stamkos, all of those guys. I mean, you're just making your lineup so much more dynamic uh, so much more powerful, and you, you're making the matchups tough for other teams where uh, maybe they have to put their worst line out there with the Tyler Johnson line, and he should be able to uh, take advantage of that and exploit that, and that's kind of what you're hoping for in some of these postseason series. Burns, I also think an interesting question, and we won't know until play resumes, will the more skilled teams have a bigger adjustment when play does resume than teams who are less skilled? I think Tampa Bay probably follows in the more skilled teams out there, but they also have some grit. So I don't know how big of an adjustment it'll be for them. But when you take a look at the layoff, do you think there's any credence to the, the notion or belief that teams who rely on skill more than grit may have a harder time adjusting with the time off? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if, if you're talking about... You know, coming back off of the pause, off of the break after, you know, having two, three, four months, whatever it is, once these guys get back going again, uh, certainly that grit. I don't think that that's something that leaves you. That's something that's just kind of intrinsic. And when you go back out there, that should uh, pretty much be ready to go right from the jump. But the speed and the skill and just getting the skating underneath of you uh, and just that flow of the game, like I was talking about earlier, getting into that flow and just how the lightning light the play. Uh, I think it's going to take them a couple games uh, to really get that style going. And I think you see it a lot uh, in some of the preseason games. If you, if you think back to, to preseasons that the Lightning have had the last couple of years, and you know a lot of it too is you're bringing in guys that are going to be targeted for the AHL. It's a, it's a mixed mass. Uh, you know, the lineup isn't what it is during the regular season, but the Lightning tend to struggle a little bit in the preseason. And sometimes – you know, get a little bit dominated by other teams, by, by Carolina, uh, I can think of over the last couple seasons and, and the preseason. Uh, don't have a lot of the puck, just not that, that freewheeling, flowing, lightning team that we're so used to seeing during the regular season. I think it takes a few of those preseason games before they're able to get to that level. And then usually once you get to the regular season, uh, you see them play in that style that we're so familiar of seeing. And even in the regular season, it can take a, a, a few games before they really get it going. So, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that it is going to be you know a little bit harder for some of these teams, maybe like the Torontos, the Lightnings, the teams that are more predicated on speed and skill and playing fast. It's going to take them a little bit harder to, to get to that level where they were pre-break uh, than maybe it would for some of the, the grittier teams like the St. Louis's. Uh, who should be able to kind of come back out and replicate that style pretty quickly once the season resumes. Any concern about Steven Stamkos and how long he's been out, particularly dealing with his injury? I mean, I think we all agree he's probably going to come back healthy, but he's missed a lot of time, and he's a guy, as we know, come playoff time, he's going to be key. Yeah, not too concerned. I really feel like with anything with Stammer, it's just more about the health. I think if he's healthy... Uh, you know, he's able to go out there and do his thing and, and not, you know, I don't think it's going to take him too much to get into it. He, he's a veteran. He's been in this league for a while now uh, with him just over the past few years. It's always been about the health and it's uh, always just kind of freak accidents or injuries or things that kind of come up that you don't really expect. And whether it was the uh, the 
shoulder, the kind of the clotting issue or what was going on, the uh, thoracic outlet, thoracic outlet syndrome before the, the 2016 playoffs, whether it was the knee injury that came on kind of an innocuous play that didn't look like it was much against Detroit in the following regular season uh, with this injury, which uh, I guess was something that he'd been de- dealing with for a little bit and just got to the point where uh, just it, it made more sense to have surgery and recover from there. So uh, it's always been kind of the nagging things. It's kind of pulled Steven Stamkos down or not allowed him to be uh, the dynamic player that, that he wants to be the injuries that, that kind of keep him from, from getting to that level. So, uh, if he's healthy and by all accounts he is, and you know, this should be a, he's another one that, that this break probably helped out a little bit because now he's going into a postseason and should be as close to a hundred percent as you can uh, expect for Stamkos going into a playoffs and probably healthier than maybe he would have been even last season. When you get, uh, when you play a full regular season and you get those, those nicks and bruises and dings that just kind of wear on you and you're uh, dealing with that throughout a playoff. So uh, hopefully all of that has been able to heal up. Hopefully the, the the issue with which he had surgery has been able to heal and he's fully recovered from that. So uh, you would hope that he's going into this as close to 100% as possible and can be at that that Steven Stamkos level that, that can have such an effect on the game. Burns, the NHL released a comprehensive COVID-19 testing strategy. There, uh, there are screening protocols in place for voluntary workouts and training camp. Basically, is you know each individual is going to be tested, and that test comes out to about 125 bucks per player. And Gary Bettman estimated that 25,000 to 35,000 will be needed to get through the playoffs. A price tag he concedes of quote millions of dollars. This comes from Sportsnet, um, but it says the athletes have plenty of concerns about risking their health to get back to work, and regular testing is something players insisted on. That had to be the biggest sticking point, I think, for these players to agree to come back and play Bernsey. I know they don't want to be away from their families for an extended period of time, but they have to probably feel a lot better. They're going to be tested every day, and if one of them does test positive for COVID-19, uh, it's not going to linger too long, and they can get help right away. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the scary thing about this is that we don't know you know, what the long-term effects of this disease are. We, we've seen and heard about how uh, people that have had it before are now having, you know, issues with their lungs, that there's long-term damage that, that can be done to the lungs or some of the organs. And uh, as a player, I don't think that you want to go out there knowing that there's an opportunity or a chance that you could, you know, potentially have long-term health effects uh, if you were to happen to, to catch it in the course of, of playing and trying to finish out uh, the 2019-20 season. So uh, I think that was a big sticking point, like you said. I also think the, the fact of, of uh, getting guys and, and having to basically sequester them in a hotel room for you know maybe a month and a half, uh, if you're lucky to make it all the way to a Stanley Cup final, you're talking about you know, guys that are going to be sequestered. And, and I know there was some talk about whether families would be allowed to come with them as well. But even then, you know, sequestering a family in a hotel room and you can't go anywhere outside that hotel or you can't go anywhere outside the arena in which you're playing uh, for almost two months, that that's a tough ask. That's, uh, that's a lot to, to, to deal with, especially if you're a player that has a family and has children. And anybody that has children during this time knows how, uh, tough it can be to to have everybody together in, in one room or in one area and not be allowed to leave. And uh, there's a difficult situation. So I, I think those are the two main sticking points. But but with the testing, I just think it's imperative that these guys know that they're safe out there and there's uh, minimal, if zero, chance that, that they're going to be able to, to contract this disease because we just don't know what the long-term effects are. And you don't know if you pick it up now and maybe – you're able to get over it. And then, you know, two years down the road, you start developing lung issues and they can trace it back to COVID. I just, you know, there's too many unknowns right now to, to want to chance it. Burnsy, lastly, and again, we're here with Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I saw this tweet come out from the New York Daily News. It says the Players Union sent a counteroffer to MLB that would include 114 games for a season starting June 30th and not end until Halloween. We also know baseball's had some issues talking about players' salary, 
how much pay they're willing to forego in terms of a pay cut because revenues aren't coming in to uh, make this thing work. I've said I think the NHL, all in all, all things considered under Gary Bettman, now we haven't seen the product on the ice yet, and I think that remains to be seen, but it seems like I think Gary Bettman, out of all the commissioners who are running big sports, has gotten it right and has navigated the waters the best so far. Now, if we end up seeing that the NHL continues to delay and they can't get on the ice and it ends up being a disaster, I think a lot of people's opinion of him will probably go back to what they were before this. But do you feel like hockey has done the best job of messaging what they're going to do and having a plan in place to move forward to get their season started? Yeah, I think it's been pretty transparent and we get little snippets here and there about, you know, what's going to happen, the the format, the dates, the timing, all of that. I think that's probably the most frustrating part uh, for us as media and for for players as well and coaches is just not knowing the dates. You kind of have a general timeline of when certain things might happen and uh, just generalities of well, we hope to have, you know, maybe a training camp by July. We hope to be able to start by August. But just the fact that there's no, you know, drop-dead date that guys can point to uh, to get start getting their body ready, to transition from uh, a phase of maybe they're just maintaining their physical fitness to, okay, now is when I need to start ramping up uh, to get back into a, a real hockey playing shape. Uh, I think that's probably been the most frustrating part, Uh but other than that, I think the NHL has done a terrific job of just keeping fans informed, uh, of staying positive throughout this, of maintaining uh, and setting out right from the start. Like, we want to finish this regular season. There was no ambiguity there. It was always, we want to finish the 2019-20 season. We want to have a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, we don't want to mess with next season. Uh, and I know that's been uh you know, a little bit they, they've had to as far as pushing the start date back of, of the, you know, the next season. At the, when all this started, that was kind of a we don't want to mess with when the next season starts. But I think they've had to concede a little bit there. But uh, I think throughout all of this, they've been pretty adamant about what they want to do, how they want to do it uh, and how they're going to get there. And I really think the NHL has a great opportunity here. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, the Olympics were going to be on NBC uh, this summer and the light or in the uh, NHL has an opportunity to uh, to go into that programming slot and be, uh, I guess, serve as the Olympics for for NBC this season uh, or this year and, and be that programming that, that people are going to be able to watch. And, you know, while we're all still kind of uh, sequestering or, or quarantining in our homes and hopefully that's eased up a little bit by by July and August. But. Uh, they have a real opportunity to have a lot of these games on, you know, NBC. And we all know during the, the first rounds of, of a playoffs, how sometimes it can be hard to find those games, you know, they're on USA network or just all over the place. And to have it on one spot, uh, the national spot where, where everybody's going to be able to watch that and just watch games continuously. I think the NHL has a real opportunity to kind of grow the game and get more fans watching uh, their sport and, and, you know, hope that, something positive can come out of this. Well, Bernsey, something positive came out of this interview. We got a chance to talk hockey with you. It's nice to talk about possibly play resuming the lineup and who is going to make the biggest impact for the Lightning once play does resume. I'm sure we'll have more of that as uh, this pause continues to be lifted, and we'll make sure we'll be uh, checking in with you throughout this whole process. Thanks, buddy. Be safe out there. Thanks again. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right, if you want to react to anything Burnsy had to say, please hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. I, I want to kind of get back into this question. Top six defensemen for this Lightning team. I mean, I think it is fascinating. Steve and I started this show talking about who that would be, and, you know, it's easy to forget certain players. I mean, Jan Ruta, again, is he part of the top six? We'll talk more about that when we return. It's Greg Linnelli on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, welcome back to Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Love having Burnsy on. We appreciate that. And um, just to kind of give you guys an update on, on how things will be playing out here, you'll hear me Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here on Power Lunch. Dave Mishkin will also be hosting 
some shows as well. And um, I believe Mish and I will be doing a show together on Friday. So that's going to be a lot of fun as we kind of navigate our way through this until play does resume. But we are going to be bringing you some good hockey talk until then. We've been doing that for the last two months. We're going to be here for you moving forward. And uh, once play starts to resume, it's going to be a lot of fun talking about this Lightning team and and where they stand. And uh, we'll continue to bring you some really good guests throughout because, listen, good hockey talk. You can't find that everywhere here in this great United States that we live in. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. And uh, if you want to weigh in on the topics we had today, you certainly can. Top six defensemen for you. It's kind of nice to talk about play on the ice as opposed to, hey, are you going to go to a sporting event now as opposed to two months ago? I wonder if more of you are starting to think that, you know what, if I had an opportunity to go back and, and watch some games live uh, in the arena, I might, I might be more inclined to do it. But it, it does appear that most leagues, you would think, are going to take those precautions and say, you know what, let's be safe. Nobody goes in. Select media members have a chance to, to watch the games. But for the most part, these players are going to be playing in an empty arena. And if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. I don't think asterisks should be put by the, the teams that, that win and the team that does win the Stanley Cup. I've heard people talk about that. I, I just I don't know if we need to go there. I certainly think in the history books, if somebody wants to write the legacy of this season was interrupted because of the coronavirus, I think that's fair. I think, look, what goes on in the world while sports is happening kind of gives you some context of what was truly happening during that time. And whether it was in baseball, the steroid era, whether it was uh, cheating going on in the NBA by uh, officials or referees betting on games, whether it's uh, the COVID-19 happening in hockey and shutting down all the sports leagues, I, I think it's fair to, to have that as a historical note and letting people understand what was going on at that time 100 years from now. But I don't think you should penalize a team from that standpoint. And I am curious to see teams that have expectations to win a Stanley Cup. If they fall pretty short of that, do fans give them maybe a little bit more of a pass as opposed to a normal season? I don't know. I guess time will tell. And in some ways, I think it'll be interesting to see how your favorite team, whoever that is, we're hoping obviously it's the Tampa Bay Lightning and they win the Stanley Cup, but you know how if they do fall short, how they do fall short and what the type what type of reaction a team would get from their fan base. I think that is all pretty interesting and pretty new to a lot of people. What I do know is the expectations for Lightning fans and for the Lightning players specifically is extremely high, and it should be. If you were to tell me everybody's on the same playing field once play does resume and everybody's healthy, the Tampa Bay Lightning are one of the top three or four teams in the National Hockey League. I don't think anybody would dispute that. And if you did, I'm not sure why. Uh, and as I said before, if Andre Vasilevsky is playing at his elite level, there's no reason why Tampa Bay shouldn't be the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. How Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow specifically fit into this team come playoff time is going to be one of the more intriguing storylines for this team. I think how Vasilevsky performs, though, for me, will be the biggest storyline. And while I think that might be the most obvious statement out there, nobody expected the Lightning's performance last year in the playoffs. And I don't think anybody expected Andre Vasilevsky to be subpar, but it happened. If Vasilevsky is going to be considered one of the best in the game, and I think he is, and I think his record in the postseason and really in the regular season over the last couple of years have proven that, but if he wants to truly be considered the best in the game, we all know, whether you agree with it or not, how well you do in the playoffs oftentimes defines you. And if you win a Stanley Cup, it really makes your career. Uh, just ask Dave Anderchuk and some of these other players who maybe needed a little extra oomph to get into the Hall of Fame, or really when you start comparing who's the best in their particular sport, we always go to championships as opposed to statistics. Vasily's going to have the statistics. There's no doubt about it. And if he plays well and he's able to get a ring, it doesn't not only solidifies how good this core group of Lightning players were, but I think it also puts him head and shoulders above everybody else in the National Hockey League at his position. And I think he is going to be motivated to come out. And I think also, too, he's the one guy when we do see play resume, 
is probably going to have, I don't want to say work the hardest to get back to his elite level, but we do know that his workload is legendary and he thrives on seeing a lot of pucks. He thrives on practice. That hasn't been able, uh, we haven't been able to see that obviously with this pause. So I think the question remains, what's his rust factor and how quickly can he get that rust off of his game once the playoffs do resume? And for me, that is why Andre Vasilevsky is the one player I'm watching closely as uh, play does pick up and eventually resumes. All right, at Greg Linelli on Twitter, if you want to hit me up there to ask questions or react to uh, anything we talked about on the show today, you certainly can. Uh, don't forget, we've got Game 5 tomorrow night on Lightning Power Play in 95.3 WDA back in 2018, Round 2. Tampa Bay taking on the Boston Bruins. Tampa Bay will clinch that series and win that uh, series against Boston in five. So make sure you stay tuned for that. I will be doing a pregame, the intermission reports, the postgame, and also talking to Eric Erlinson throughout the intermissions about uh, what happened during that series and current events going on in the National Hockey League right now. So make sure you keep it tuned there. And as always, follow us on Twitter at Bolts Radio. We will be with you again tomorrow, noon to one. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Thank you, Steve Versnick, for all your help co-hosting and producing. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. Stay safe out there, folks. Be smart. I am Greg Linelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.